Hello church, welcome to this edition of Bible Talk. I am your host for today, Pastor Cody King, our pastor of Media and Online Ministries here at DAC. If you're uh, new for the first time, it's nice to meet you. If you're a regular and you're wondering where Pastor Brad is, like we said last week, he was in California visiting family. He is back now, but he is in South Florida in Fort Lauderdale at a Jewish Ministries conference. Um, he will be back this Sunday to preach, so that's the good news. But for this Wednesday, I'm going to be doing Bible Talk again, which I'm very excited about. I'm very happy to be here. I thank everyone for tuning in last week. I was very excited then to do our special Bible Talk on missions in preparation for Dr. Tim Crouch to come preach on Sunday. And um, that was a deviation from our normal schedule of Bible Talk, which is going through the books of Romans through Romans through Revelation this year uh, for the year of the apostles, which we have denoted 2023 to be. And um, the schedule we've been going through with Bible talk and Sunday morning services is chronological order. So the best guess of what we can conjure up with the evidence we have, the chronological order of the epistles, the books written by the apostles. So we uh, started in Galatians and we went to James and then, um, we did First uh, and Second Thessalonians, and we took a break for uh, the Missions Week emphasis. And now we're back on track, which means today we're going to be in First Corinthians, which was written about 57 AD, and uh, that's the next chronological book that we have to go through today. So I'm excited to be back on track. Pastor Brad will be preaching this upcoming Sunday on First Corinthians as well. I'm going to do my overview, and then he's preaching Sunday. And um, we're back on track with our schedule, so I'm going to pray to get us started. I'm very happy to have you here. Um, if you're watching online or if you're listening on our podcast, I'm grateful to have you here. Let's pray. Lord, we um, thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you would um, help me set myself aside as we uh, talk through this portion of scripture today. Lord, we just ask that you would make yourself known, that you'd make yourself manifest through the technology you've provided for us to read your word, to study your word, and to expound upon it. Lord, we just invite you in, Jesus. We need you, um, and uh, we, our comprehension of the word is void without your spirit, Lord. So we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit right now in this moment and send it to soften the heart of our listeners and viewers um, of our congregation today, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I'm very excited uh, for First Corinthians. I've said that like four times. That's how excited I am. Um, so I'm going to try to just give a very brief overview today um, as we've been doing with the books and just sort of spend a lot of time with the historical and just uh, contextual backgrounds of what's going on when Paul is writing this book to the church of Corinth. Um, so I'm going to start with in the book of Acts, actually, and then go from there as we sort of just unpack what all is surrounding the entire book. There's way too much to sit down and discuss in 20 minutes, and I'm not even going to try to do it. So I'm just going to give a big flyover of what 1 Corinthians is. So like I said, we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 18, which gives us the background for Paul's relationship with the church of Corinth, and then we're going to discuss um, the geographical uh, significance as well as the uh, cultural significance. So if you're watching us on line, I'm going to pull up the same thing we had last week. The advantages of technology and what we're able to do is I have the scripture on the screen for those watching. If you're listening to the podcast, we're in Acts chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protests and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we talked about this last week with um, our discussion of missions to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So Paul's regular procedure was to go to the synagogue first, wherever he was at, wherever he was visiting. He went to the synagogue first to reason with the Jews and to witness to the Jews. And here... We see that he's doing the exact same thing. It does say trying to persuade Jews and Greeks in verse 4, but the Jews have rejected their own Messiah. So he says, I'm moving on to the Gentiles. He said, your blood is on your own heads. I'm moving on. But verse 1 is why I start here specifically, because it says Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he's making his first visit to Corinth, we can see in Acts chapter 18. And this is the background of his relationship with the church of Corinth. I'll carry on in verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So he meets this family whose followers of the Lord and many Corinthians are starting to come to Christ. The Lord approaches Paul in a vision and says, hey, this place is safe. You don't need to be silent. You can keep speaking here. No one's going to attack you. So for a year and a half, 18 months, he spends in Corinth teaching them the word of God, unpacking these truths of the gospel, unpacking the truths of Christ to the church being planted in Corinth. So this is a huge deal, this is a massive deal, and this is where we get the introduction to Paul's relationship to the church of Corinth. So, that being said, follows, following this introduction, Paul departs and goes on his missionary journey, and he writes letters back to the Corinthians, which we'll unpack here in a second. But the cultural and geographical explanations of the location of Corinth is very important to unpacking who and why he's writing and what he's saying. So I have a map right here. If you're watching, like I said, on online anywhere, we have a map of Greece right here. Let me make this a little bigger. We have an ancient map of Greece. Um, well, this is modern, but it's pointing out the different things of Greece. So Greece has the mainland Greece and has a southern peninsula, which is connected by a five-mile-wide isthmus. An isthmus, which once again, when's the last time you've heard that term? I know it's been about like fourth or fifth grade social studies for me. So I had to refresh myself on what an isthmus was. But it's it's the short little stretch of land right here that you can see. I don't know why they put the arrow on the map up here, but it's really right here is where it would be. Um, and you can see, if you can see that tiny text, there's the city of Corinth right there. But it is this five-mile stretch of land that connects this entire southern peninsula to the rest of mainland Greece. So at that time... It was the only way, if you were in the Gulf of Corinth, to get across to the Saronic Gulf. Um, but what it was mainly used as was for people tra traveling from Italy to the eastern Mediterranean, especially in the winter season <clears throat> when it was cold 
and stuff such as that. And they didn't want to travel through all this body of water over here to get to Eastern Mediterranean. There was a little shortcut that could be taken right through here. And people could cut through the Gulf of Corinth and travel across the Isthmus and into the Saronic Gulf. Now today, there's a water channel there. But back in the day, that was not there. So you had a five mile, about four or five mile stretch of land right there with Corinth being the front part of it where people would pay to have their boats dragged across this isthmus to get to the other side and basically take a shortcut through Corinth. So it's pretty cool. This website here has pictures. Yeah, there's more of an understanding of it right there. There we go. Um, and then there's here's pictures of the railways that people used to drag the boats through um, in ancient times, which is pretty phenomenal to be able to see the remains of. Uh, there's another photo here and one right here. Just crazy. And then the channel that they have today. So just really interesting to see that what's taking place here and what the city of Corinth was used for. So with that being said, this was a hot spot. This was a very popular place to be. It was uh, very populous. It was under Julius Caesar's reign in the first century AD. They were very successful um, one of the most successful cities um, economically in the entire country of Greece. And so therefore, as people were traveling, stay, they had to stay in Corinth for a couple of days while their boats were being drugged. And then eventually people ended up living here and it was multifaceted, multi-ethnic, just people from all over um, that, all over the different places they're coming to Corinth to live. So that created one of the many issues that Paul spoke into in the book of 1 Corinthians. So because of all these different people groups and ethnicities that are being um, that are on display or, or taking root here in the church of Corinth, there's divisions taking place because people are claiming they belong to Paul or, or I belong to Apollos or, you know, they're starting to create these factions and, and sects inside of the church of Corinth. And Paul addresses this in chapter one and in chapter three, as he tries to emphasize that Christ is not divided, that Christ does, does not need to be divided. There's no division found in Christ, which we also see in John 17 in Christ's prayer as he calls for unity in the church. And that's how people would know we belong to him. Um, but in, I love how he phrases this in first Corinthians chapter three, as I have this verse pulled up again. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or or that is Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So he's saying, regardless of who baptized you, or who you're a part of, or anything, we all belong to Christ, so there's no need for there to be divisions among you in this multi-ethnic and multifaceted church. That's one of the many issues that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians to the church of Corinth. Another one was... The city of Corinth was located in a in a very pagan society. So they worshipped the different Greek gods and goddesses. And in the city of Corinth, there was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. So it was Aphrodite was the goddess, or Venus, I think you call her Venus too, was the god goddess of fertility and things of that nature. So part of participating in, in sacrifice and offering to Aphrodite was to participate in sexual acts with the temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite's. Um, it says that there's, there are estimates that people, some people say, and I saw, read some arguments about it when I was in my master's program about people, um, you know, whether the number of 1000 is valid, but the number that's thrown out there is 1000 prostitutes at this temple 
that the city of Corinth was known to go up there and worship by partaking in sexual acts with prostitutes. So just a crazy, crazy sinful community that, that Paul is speaking into. And these, you know, the church of Corinth is being called to leave that lifestyle to come follow Christ and to give up those things. So frequently in the book of first Corinthians, Paul is speaking into the culture of sexual immorality and the sin of sexual morality taking place in the Corinthian church in chapters five, six, and seven, he hits on this so much that they need to completely abstain from sexual morality. And, uh, and I love how he phrases it in first Corinthians six sixteen. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So he quotes Genesis chapter two, verse 24, when he's speaking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, don't you realize that when you, participate in these sexual acts, you are becoming one person with this prostitute and, and you are completely surrendering your body to someone who is not your spouse. And he speaks directly to the issue and does not sugarcoat it. Um, in chapter seven, he encourages twice in verse two and in verse nine of chapter seven, that if a couple is struggling with sexual morality they need to go ahead and get married. It would be best that they would get married, in Paul's opinion, as he's writing that, than to burn with lust. That in, in order to stay in this lust, and then he, you know, talking about couples specifically, that would be best for them to just get married than to keep living in lust. He talks about sex morality, sexual immorality even more. Um, and once again, all of this is continuing to just give credence to the fact that Paul was speaking directly to the issues that plagued the church in that day. It wasn't, and we don't like this today. For the most part, we're not a big fan of this. We're not today in our, in our day and age, we, we want to hear the feel good stuff. We don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about our current sins. You know, we want to talk about other people or we're more comfortable talking about the sins of the Bible. We don't want to hear directly about our sins. You know, that's, that's our flesh. We don't like being called out for this, our sin. But Paul in in the epistles and the apostles writing the epistles were very, very direct all the time with the sin that was taking place in that moment, in that culture, in that context, and how it needed to be addressed biblically. And um and that's just was Paul's MO. Um later in and more context, excuse me, more context surrounding First Corinthians. So we've talked about two of the main issues that Paul's addressing. Um an interesting point that I'll let Pastor Brad speak more into um, when he goes into Second Corinthians, but there was actually a letter prior to what we call First Corinthians. So we say this was the first letter to the Church of Corinth. There was actually a letter before that one. And if anyone in the audience would like to take a guess at what that letter was about, he wrote a letter to the Church of Corinth beforehand, and this is the second one. The first one was about you guessed it, sexual morality. So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he is alluding to a previous letter that we do not have. He's alluding to a letter that is somewhere out there that has not been found. He, He wrote this letter and he's calling them to abstain from, uh, sexual immorality. And so in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Um, He mentions this again, and he says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Um, And he's not talking about in the context of marriage. 
Um, he's talking about sexual morality, and he's he goes into that passage that, like I mentioned earlier, about the you know if people are burning with lust, they should get married. And then eventually, he, was, he I think he t- it's the point he's tying in together here, First Corinthians chapter seven. He's talking about singleness and how he's single, and he thinks it would be better for everyone to be sing- single. He clearly says it's not a command, but he says it's easier to serve the Lord when you're a single person, is what Paul says in that chapter. But What's interesting about this reply, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he writes a letter to the church speaking about sexual morality. They reply with a letter about sexual morality. And and we can tell that from this context right here. And he's writing them another letter back about sexual morality. So this this was just so rampant in the culture there. Um, in Corinth, so much so that it is just constantly the the topic of discussion um, in 1 Corinthians. And an interesting piece in that, once again, this is what I was talking about a second ago. I'll try not to spoil it for HB, but and there's apparently, according to the internal evidence in 2 Corinthians, there's a letter between this one and 2 Corinthians. So all in all, it's believed that, you know, scholars who've dug in the evidence from the internal um, evidence that's inside these letters. There's apparently four letters to the church of Corinth. Uh, we have the second and the fourth, and we call them first and second Corinthians, but apparently there were two other ones written according to what Paul says in these. Um, this, this book is just so riddled with so much truth, um, that goes not just in sexual morality or, or division, which we already talked about, but he talks about um, chapter 13, as many of us know, is the love passage. We read it at weddings, um, which is kind of ironic because it's not necessarily about marriage. It's just about how we love one another. It is the love that we are all called to display as human beings, as followers of Christ, and is not just for marriage. We just have turned it into something pretty that we read at a marriage ceremony. Um, chapter 14 talks about prophecy and tongues and what that looks like in public church gatherings and how the church should go about navigating um, tongues and prophecy and, and just, you know, normal church gatherings and what the order of that should look like. Um, chapter 15 is one of the most detailed and important descriptions and evidence, internal evidence and in scripture of Christ's resurrection. And chapter 15 is just large unpacking from Paul about the legitimacy that Christ rose from the dead, um, which is one of, if not the most foundational part of our faith as evangelical Christians is that Christ came, he died, and he rose again. And that seals the deal for everything. And he's coming back again. Um, I just want to challenge everyone watching this week and everyone listening um, as we've unpacked all these different you know, context of what's going on in first Corinthians that you would read it when you get the, get the chance. Uh, the chapters are not very long. I mean, as a whole, the book is very long. You need to split it out over a couple days probably, but just get it, get into first Corinthians and read it and just really just see if, if Paul's speaking to all the current issues of that day, how can some of those apply to you and, and approach it with an open heart of how the Lord can speak to you, um, through the issues that Paul was speaking into Corinth. And, um, I love, you know, I listened to the first sermon that was preached on the Wednesday chapel service at Asbury University that launched the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place for about two weeks there. Um, And it was from Zach uh, Meerkrebs, I think I'm probably saying his name wrong, who's an Alliance guy, actually. And the whole the whole challenge of the sermon was about love and how regardless of the of the 
lack of love or the hurt that has been placed upon us, how are we going to love one another? And as we, as you read first Corinthians, as I'd ask you and challenge you to this week, and you get to chapter 13, just sum all of that, of that book up, internalize it and, and leave with that challenge of love and how you were personally going to love your neighbor and love God, uh, this week. And as you go about your walk with the Lord, I want to encourage you in that. Um, and it was something as, as, and I wanted, I don't want to belittle the message, but something as simple as a call, a, a hard call to love from Zach Meerkrebs that, that Lord used to pour an outpouring of his spirit at Asbury University that spread to multiple different locations across the nation. Um, and it was, it was this, this call to the church of Corinth that began this continual accountability to that church that Paul used to try to sanctify them through the spirit and just edify them and all that they're doing. So I just pray that this would have uh, fruit in your life today. Thank you for bearing with, with me. Thank you for joining in. And first uh, Corinthians, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and uh, breathing sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, Lord, may it have its effect on us today, Jesus, and may it overcome all of our sin, all of our flesh, and create in us a new heart. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. See you guys next week.